Well, hello and welcome to the podcast. My name is Crystal Sparks, and no matter if this is your first time here or maybe you're here every single week, I am so glad that you are here on my podcast. I love to upload content here that helps grow your faith and to help equip you to accomplish your dreams and your goals. Hey, this message uh, was actually recorded at our church's first Wednesday service that we had, and I really think that it's going to encourage you. How are you guys going first Wednesday? Y'all look so good. Wow, you did this. You did this. You you went to work. You did school. You did dinner. How many of you have already eaten dinner? All right. How many of you still haven't figured out dinner yet? All right. It's about 50-50 in Caddo Mills. Silver Springs, what are y'all out? Come on. Can we give it up for our Silver Springs campus? Uh, they're joining us today. I'm so thankful uh, to be both here and there with you guys. Man, we're seeing so many lives uh, change. I love baptism uh, Wednesday. It's so special to celebrate uh, the life change that God is doing. Um, If you're new to our community of faith, hello, my name is Crystal Sparks, and I'm so glad that you are here. Uh, We have a saying in our church that we're not for the church for everybody, but we are the church for somebody, and we hope that somebody is you. And so if you do not have a church home, um, we'd love to invite invite you back to one of our Sunday services. We have two services in Sulphur Springs and three here in Caddo Mills. And I promise you this, I, I think that our church is the friendliest church. And, and so I promise you we'll make you feel right at home. We'd love for you to come and join a Sunday with us. Well, hey, um, I, I'm excited about today's message. Um, if you are taking notes today, and I hope you are, because we have a saying at our church that uh, paper never forgets, uh, you can title this message, No Turning Back. Uh, no turning back. Uh, we're going to be in First Kings chapter 19, uh, 19 through 21, and then we're going to also be reading in Second Kings uh, 2, 2, and then 9 through 15. You'll get a little bit of Bible reading today. Is that okay? All right. It says, so Elijah left there and found Elisha. Just side note, how many of you guys were not raised in church like me? I was not raised in church. And so whenever I came into church and they were talking about Elijah and Elisha, I'm like, who's the second Elisha and who's the first Elijah? So I'm just going to teach you a shortcut. Okay. This is a trick. The one with the S is the second Elijah. The one with the J is the OG. Okay. He's the OJ. Oh, gee. Okay. So that's the way I remember things. So there's Elijah and then there's Elisha. So let's see if everybody knows. Elisha, is he the first or the second? See, you are officially a Bible scholar. Congratulations. You are so good. See, I had to teach myself these shortcuts because I didn't get Sunday school growing up. So I had to find uh, tricks to remember these things. Okay. So let's pick that up. Uh, So Elijah, number one, left from there and found Elisha, number two, the son of Japhat, who was plowing, behind, uh, was plowing, was being done with 12 yoke of oxen. And he drove the 12th. So meaning there's 12 yoke of oxen going and he is on the very back one. Now in culture at this time, you would only be on the back one if you had hired people that were driving the oxen in the front. So this is letting you know in like a covert way that Elisha's got some money, 
He's got some coin, okay? He's, he's taking it easy. He's on the back uh, of the oxen. And it says, so he drove the 12th. And Elijah crossed over to him and cast his mantle upon him. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And he, testing Elijah, said, go uh, on back. What have I done to you? Settle it for yourself. So Elisha went back from him, and then he took a yoke of oxen and slew them, boiled their flesh, and with the oxen's yoke as fuel, and gave to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and served him. We're going to flip over to 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 2. And it says, And Elijah said to Elisha, Tarry here, I pray you, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha replied, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Let's skip over to verse 9. And it says, And when they had gone over, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do, do for you before I am taken from you. And Elijah Elisha said, I pray you, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. However, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. As they still went on and talked, behold, a chariot of fire and horses of fire parted the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into the heavens. And Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. And he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And when he took the mantle that fell from Elijah, he struck the waters and said, Where is the Lord God? the God of Elijah. And when he had struck the waters, they parted this way and that, and Elisha went over. Uh, can we pray as we continue our time together? Father, we just thank you, uh, Lord, that this is a God-appointed word at a God-appointed time. Father, I thank you that every ear is open and receptive. Every heart will be softened for the seed of the word of God. Father, I declare that every life will be changed, that no one will leave the same. In Jesus' name, and everybody who believed it said, amen. You know, there's something about a calling, right? When somebody calls you to get your attention. Uh, there's right ways to call people and there's wrong ways to call people. Um, I, I've had many right ways, you know, things that people call you. In fact, uh, if you're friends with somebody for any length of time, especially around our house, you get nicknames, right? And, and so we have pet names for people, things that only we call them. It's kind of like it's a way of knowing uh, that a sense of intimacy, right? Like that we are friends is when I give you a name. Uh, uh, but there's ways to be called that aren't great. And a lot of these have happened to me in my life when you go to the mall and you know those little kiosks that are out in the center and they try to get your attention and I was walking one time, I was shopping in the mall, I was uh, with Pastor Nancy uh, from here at our Cattle Mills campus, and I was walking along and this lady called out to me and she said, your hair doesn't always have to look that frizzy, I can fix it. And I was like, <laughs> and I knew it had to be me because Mammal's hair looked great. It was like perfect straight. And so I was like, 100%, I am the frizzy friend. I know she's talking to me. Uh, needless to say, I did not uh, respond to that call. Uh, there's been other times where people say things like, your skin doesn't have to always look that bad. Um, another lady told me, hey, if you'll just let me do this treatment to you, I promise I can make your face look younger. I'm like... Ma'am, I am 25. You are so rude. I 
have nowhere to anti-age. When you're 25, you don't have an anti-aging regimen. But there's good ways to be called and there's bad ways to be called. Does anybody have like a jacket or anything here at Arcado Mills? Can I use a jacket or like something? Mama's taking off her jacket. Great, great, great. Oh, I got a faster one. Okay, I, I picture the Bible. I'm a visual person, okay? Uh, can I have a youth come up here, a volunteer, uh, one of my youth? Just run down here, whoever's the fastest. Okay, Trinity, come up on stage. Y'all give it up for Trinity. Okay, this just became an animated sermon. Okay, so I want you to pretend like you're driving a yoke of oxen. Whatever you want that to look like, go ahead. What would it look like to drive a yoke of oxen? Yeah, yeah, they're in front of you. Okay, so you're driving kind of like a car, keeping it at 10 and 2. You're doing a great job. Okay, so quick Bible check. Is Elijah doing the driving of the oxen or Elisha? Let me hear you, Silver Springs. Shah, right? Okay, Shah's the right answer. Okay, so Shah is driving the oxen. Elijah's just walking by. Like, he's just living his life. He's got this nice jacket on right here, all right? And he rolls up, and this is what he does. He's out there in the field. He throws this on him, and he just keeps going. Now, I don't know about y'all, but in a normal life, would that get your attention? No, it would not. <laughs> would you think? Would you think that I was weird by throwing a jacket on you? Yeah. Yeah. Th- would that be strange? Yeah. Do people usually just throw random articles of clothing at you? No. <laughs> Y'all give it up for Trinity. Okay. So I do that because when we read our Bibles, we miss the context. Your Bible says that he sees him plowing in the field. He walks up. He says nothing. He doesn't say, hey, boy, what's up? What's your name? Like, how you going? Do you need help driving all this oxen in this field? How long have you been out here? How's your mom and them? Nothing. Your Bible says he throws the mantle at him. Now, the mantle, just so you know, he's not throwing Gucci at him. The mantle at that time was probably what they say whenever you study this out. It's dark in color. It was probably dirty, worn, had holes in it, was not beautiful at all. It was scratchy. It wasn't comfortable to wear, but it was something that a prophet would wear because it, uh, it would make him recognizable to the people around that he was a prophet. He walks by without saying anything, throws this article, this dirty rag at him and just keeps walking. And for whatever reason, here's your jacket back. Thank you so much. Give it up for Courtney. She did a good job. Good job. For whatever reason, your Bible does not say he takes off and he runs after Elisha. And I want to tell you that there's some things about us not turning back. And the first thing I want you to write down is there's the call. The call of God happening on our life. And I I was on a run the other day and I was praying. I was asking the Lord. I said, why is it that right now this generation, we can gather huge stadiums and have stadiums full of people and rooms full of people. And yet our world seems to not change. And the Lord said this to me. He said, we have a group of people who are seeking inspiration without impartation. 
And there is a big difference between inspiration and impartation. Inspiration happens in a moment and it gets you excited, but it fades away fast. It comes with no sacrifice. It comes with no pursuit. Impartation is different. Impartation carries with it a burden, a sense of responsibility. It is the call of God on your life. And what happened was, because if if this would have been in 2021, this is how it would have had to look. Hey, Elisha, come try out our church. We have free donuts. We have great coffee. Our kids program is the best. Hey, if you follow me and you do this and this and this at this many years, you're going to have this kind of package waiting on you. It would have had to have some perks, but I love that there was no sales pitch. There was no sales pitch. It was just, hey, do you want it or not? And I think there needs to be a generation that rises up that does not follow God for what is in it for them, but there is an impartation of when he touched me, my life was different. See, something was activated on the inside of Elisha, and he knew that this oxen is not all there is in life. And some of you feel a sense of dissatisfaction when you're going to work and you're going to school and everything seems dry and everything seems meaningless and you listen to a podcast and you're inspired for a moment but your life goes back down and the reason is is because you've not yet caught the mantle you've not yet caught the call of God on your life and I want to tell you that today God's wanting to activate some people in the kingdom and touch you in a way that you can never go back there's no going back the, the mantle was dirty, it was foul, it was scratchy, it was worn, it was not beautiful, it did not come with tags, and it did not come with promise. But yet at the same time, when it touched him, he knew this is what I was made for. This is what I was created for, nothing else satisfied. I, I believe that there is a big difference in being marked and being marketed. And we have a generation of people that are obsessed with marketing themselves, obsessed with marketing themselves on Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram. We're doing all this work to market ourselves. But I believe that our nation will see revival when a generation of people say, God, I want you to mark me. I want you to touch me in a way that I'm never the same. Let me tell you, when you're marked, you don't need to be marketed. God, God knows how to market you. You're trying to figure out how to get your gift out there, how to grow your business, how to make everything. Let me just tell you, one touch from God marking your business will take you from the bottom to the top. One touch from God, let me tell you, young people, will get you into colleges that are beyond your skill level, beyond what you could do on your own. You want to be marked. When that mantle fell upon him, it came with no words, but it came with an activation. And he knew, I can't go back to usual. In essence, when Elijah threw the mantle at him, he was saying, I want you to leave your comfort and your power, and I want you to go into a life of hiding. You're about, to, you're about to enter into a situation where nobody knows your name when everybody's known your name. You're, you're about to go from a place of being in safety and now you're gonna become vulnerable. I want you to give up all your wealth and now you're gonna become poor. It came with the highest level price and yet the call was on the inside of him. And we see the response of Elisha. Elisha here in, in 1 Kings 19, 20 and 21. I love this so much. Let's read it real quick. It says, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. And he says, let me kiss my father and my mother. That seems like a simple request, doesn't it? 
if I'm going to follow you, there, there is no cell phone, there is no pay phone, there is no uh, Pony Express at this day and time. He's saying, can I at least say bye to my parents? And, and I love this because I, I never understood it until I studied this out because Elijah, number one, turns to Elisha and he says, what does this have to do with me? And, and when you study this out, what he was actually saying is, you've never belonged to me, you belong to God. This call that you have, don't get it mistaken. You are not called to me. You are called to God. And you need to take it to God. What is God asking you to do? Don't ask me what God is asking you to do. You need to go to God because this was never between you and me. This call, this following, this anointing was never between us. It's between you and God. And your Bible says in the next verse, it says, So Elisha went back from him, and he took a yoke of oxen, and he slew them, boiled their flesh with the oxen's yoke as fuel, and gave it to the people that followed, and they ate. And then he arose and followed Elisha and served him. May it just be said, he started out when it was a man call. Let me just kiss somebody and say goodbye. But when he took it to God, God upped the ante. Let me just tell you, man's requirements of you and God's requirements of you are very different. And so the second thing, if you're taking notes, is the cost. The cost of the call of God on your life, it will cost you everything. And here he is thinking he was only going to say goodbye, but there wasn't a single area of the call that did not, that God did not touch. He touched everything. He touched his family. He touched his future. He touched his security. He touched his significance. He touched his prominence. And, and when you study this out, 12 yoke of oxen, this would have been the most lavish feast. Uh, they say that uh, studying this out, that it was enough food to feed that whole village, the whole village came together for the most lavish celebration. That's what we're doing today in baptism. We're celebrating these lives being changed. And so he has this party knowing that he is watching his retirement, his livelihood, his identity all being gone in a single moment. There's a cost in following this. And I think some of us begin to get this off and we think that, gosh, following God is so fun and it's so good. And yes, let me just say that salvation is free, but everything after that is going to cost you. In fact, Jesus, when talking to his disciples in Mark 10, 29 through 30, it says, so Jesus answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake and the gospel's sake. Might, might it just be said here, if you were doing Bible graffiti, underline my name's sake. There's something about being God called and not man called. Again, it's going back to that Elijah word. It's knowing that from God, this is what God's asking me to do. And it says, no one who's left for my sake who shall not receive a what? A hundredfold now in this time, meaning that your reward is not just in heaven. You're going to re-reap it in this lifetime. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. What Jesus is letting them know there, he's talking to people who have given up everything. And he's saying that, yes, the cost is great, but I promise you it's worth it. Yes, the cost is great, but I promise you it's worth it. See, there's a big difference between callings and careers. 
and, and in a generation where we're looking for the best career, I, I want to tell you that we need called firemen. We need called policemen. We need called congressmen. We need called teachers. I, I don't want you just to see it as a career, but what if we begin to see it as a calling? Because with the call of God comes the anointing of God to be able to do what we're called to do. And here this man is, he gives up everything. In fact, Paul describes in Philippians 2.17, he says, I pour my life out as a drink offering to the Lord. Meaning this, the minute that you started following Jesus, you getting baptized today isn't something cute to post on Instagram, but it is a marker in your life that the old man is gone, the new one has begun. I'm pouring my life out as a drink offering. I was uh, running the other day. I feel like every story starts with that. I can't help it. It's, this is the, it's the only place God talks to me, I feel like. Uh, Lord, let my legs always be strong to run. Amen. And, and I was running the other day, and honestly, um, the price sometimes is really high. And uh, we were going through, we've gone through a lot of personal heartbreak in the last year, and I was just at a place where I was like, God, I don't know that I'm willing to pay the price anymore. You know what I mean? Like, if I'm just being honest... I'm like, I, I don't know that I want to pay the price anymore. I don't know that I'm, this call that you have, this thing that you're doing in my life, I just don't know that it's worth it. And the Lord literally told me, he said, the minute you put yourself on the altar, you lost the right to say what I do with you. And I want to just remind some of you of the cost of discipleship. Being water baptized, being saved, it's not just something cute to do. It's saying, I put my life, as Paul says, I pour it out as a drink offering to the Lord. That means I surrender all right of what will happen in my life. Lord, here I am, use me. If you want to move me, you can move me. If you want to take from me, you can take from me. If you want to promote me, you can promote me. If you want to move me out, you can move me out. If you want to move me in, you can move me in. Everything I have is yours. I own nothing. You own it all. And I wonder if there's any people that still today look at this life is that it's not just a thing to say I'm a Christian, but I'm going to actually live like it. I'm actually going to have a life that this isn't just a career I'm doing. This isn't just a, I'm going through the motions, but God, this is my life. I pour it out as a drink offering before the Lord in Luke 24, 21. It says, here they are. Jesus was just had been crucified and Jesus comes along to these men and, and they're walking. It's the road to Emmaus and, and they're talking. And it says, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And what was wild is they're saying this about Jesus in their disappointment to Jesus. And I think about this because when we get off in our pursuit, we begin to start looking at our life and we get like me on the road. I don't know, the cost is too great. What you're doing is too big. And we forget that the moment we got saved and baptized, we lost all right to say what God does with our life in the first place. And then we get into a place like these disciples and they start saying, we had hoped it was gonna turn out differently. And they thought the circumstances had removed the call. And I want to tell you that your circumstances, your situation does not remove the call of God on your life. And some of you have been saying, well, I hoped that the marriage worked out differently. I'd hoped that the business was going to work out. I had hoped that relationship wasn't going to end this way. I had hoped my financial problem would turn around. I had hoped that I would be healed by now. I had hoped that these things would begin to happen. And all the while, the thing they're hoping for is right there. 
And, and what happens is we begin to let circumstances dictate our hope. But the Bible tells us that we're supposed to live from a different place. Hebrews 10, 23, it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Hebrews 6, 19, it says, for this hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. In 2 Corinthians 4, 18, it says the things of this world are temporal. They're unseen, right? They're, they're, they're the things that are unseen are eternal. So let me just tell you this, that if your hope is up some days and down the other, it's not because the call of God has changed on your life. It's because you have yourself anchored in culture, in results, and in everything else. But when my hope is in Jesus then that means everything else around me can be shifting, can be changing. And yet on the inside, I remain unmoved. The next thing is the pursuit. Your Bible says in verse 21, it says, then he arose, he followed Elijah and he served him. In fact, it does not give him a flashy title. Second Kings 3.11, it says, Elisha, the son of Japhat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Now think of this. Most theologians would agree that Elisha was in a place of prominence in his village. He was in a place of influence. He had money. He had everything he needed. And he went from doing that to being the person who washes Elisha's hands. Like, I don't know about you guys, but that's a massive downgrade. And he doesn't just do it for a little while. In fact, most uh, theologians would say that he served Elijah for 20 years. For 20 years, he washed his hands and heard the word preached. That is it. I want to ask you, what is your definition of great faith? I used to, when I, when I thought about great faith, I can't help but think about Jesus when he said that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and it would be done for you. And that is the, one of the most misappropriated verses in the Bible because the mustard seed faith means this. It's not that your faith stays the size of a mustard seed, but it's implied that it's growing. In fact, the emphasis of the verse is more on the growing of the faith, of this faith seed, than it is about the mountain. And I used to think that great faith was shown in how big we prayed. Like, did I pray for uh, big things to happen or am I praying for small things? Am I praying for them to be healed of cancer or am I just praying for them to get better? Am I praying for God pay my bills or God pay off all my debt? Like how big my prayers were determined how big my faith is, but that's not what the Bible says. In fact, Jesus asked this question. He said, when the son of man returns, will he find faith in the earth? Not will he find people who have paid off houses. Not will he find people with the best jobs. Not will he find people with all their needs and all their wants taken care of. Jesus is looking for faith. So I have come to this realization that the goal in our life is not the bigness of our faith, right? Not the bigness of what we're asking for, but the longevity of it. Elisha had so emptied himself of pride that he was okay for 20 years to go from being the top of the top to now just being the hand washer. I want to ask you, if you're still trying to be the person who's known and seen, you haven't yet burned your oxen. You're, you're still got your plow. 
And, and, I, and I love this because Elijah was so committed to this call that he burned the plow. He could have sold the plow and made money. He could have taken the cows to the local butcher and had them cut apart and then sold them off and made the money. But he was so sold to the fact that I am never going back. There is no turning back. In fact, your Bible talks about Jesus after the resurrection. Peter, in his dismay, thinking he wasn't going to return, looks at the other disciples and says, what are we supposed to do now? The person we gave the last three years of our life to is dead. There is no hope. This is the third day. What are we supposed to do? And so he looks at the boys and says, let's go fishing. They all get in a boat. And while they're out there going back to their plow, going back to what they knew, Jesus calls for him. And your Bible says that Peter jumps from the boat and goes swimming. It's literally like Forrest Gump. Y'all know what I'm talking about when he sees Lieutenant Dan? And he gets so excited that he jumps off Jenny and then Jenny crashes. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's the way I see Peter in this text. He just jumps off the boat because he realizes, my backup plan is not needed. That following Jesus never needed a backup plan. And Elisha knew, if I'm really going to do this thing, I don't need a plan B. Following God is my plan A. There is no backup plan. There is no if this doesn't work out. I want to ask you, have you burned the plow? Some of you still have that person's number in your phone and the Lord's been convicting you about deleting it. Come on, somebody. Some of you, I remember whenever Brian, we, we met left and we left everything. Literally, we burned the plow. And we came here to Roy City, Texas and to start the church. And the Lord told Brian, he said, I want you to let every single one of your fire certifications go. And Brian goes, okay. He said, because when things get hard, I don't want you to have anything that you can go back to. And I want to tell you that when we had given all, and we were down to the last $50. If he would have had those certifications, it would have been easy to go back and just start plowing again. That ox would have been ready. The plow would have been ready. But because we burned the plow, we're still having church today. And I want to tell you that some of you, come on. It's time to burn the plow. It's time to get rid of the backup plan. It's time to quit saying, well, if God doesn't do this by this date, then I'm out. No, I'm looking for some people that say, if I, all I do is wash the prophet's hand for 20 years, that's enough. I don't have to follow for a promise of promotion. I don't have to follow for influence. I'm happy with whatever. Because may it just be said that Elijah never promised Elisha anything. And can I just back up for a second to a generation that's forgotten how to be sons and fathers, that it was Elisha's job to chase Elijah. It's not the father's job to chase the spiritual sons. It's the spiritual son's job to chase the spiritual fathers. And he decided, no, you have what I need. I remember this whenever I got saved and I didn't know the difference between Genesis and Revelation. I just, I knew that God had changed my life and I wanted everything he had. And so I remember I was there and I would just be honored to be in the room, just wherever they were. I would sit at the feet with Dr. Terry Sparks and Dr. John Holler, and they would just drop things that they were reading and, and things they were interested in. And you know what I did? This is something people don't do. I would go and buy the book with my own money, and I would read it, and I would come back and just be honored to sit at the table and say, hey, the last time we were together, you brought up this book, and I read it. Just because the honor of the conversation was enough. 
And there's a generation that has missed what it's like to be a son chasing after the father. And just to be honored to sit at the table, I remember uh, if you were here on Vision Sunday, uh, Brian's dad used to always say this, and Pastor Brian says it now, and he was standing up on Vision Sunday, and he said this, give this church one year of your life. Do y'all remember when he said that? And see what God will do. I was just newly saved. I was a senior in high school. I had a full scholarship offered to me. I had everything in my future was laid out. And I was sitting in a service just like that, and God grabbed my heart. His dad said from the platform, he said, give this church one year of your life. And I walked up to him, and I said, I won't give you one year. I'm going to give you my whole life. I'll give you my whole life. And whenever his mom went to be with to heaven, I was like, God, thank you that I was able to wash the hands of the prophet. What an honor. I, I went home that day after service when I told his dad that. I told my mom, I'm not going to Kilgore. I'm not taking the scholarship. I'm staying here. And she goes, well, what if he doesn't marry you? I said, it doesn't matter. All I know is that God's changed my life and I can't leave. I, I, I can't leave. There's something different about this, mom. There's something that's grabbed my heart. I want to tell you that when you're loyal to the call on your life, God takes care of everything else. And in that moment, I burned the plow. I burned the plow. And what an honor it was to serve them. What an honor it still is to serve his dad. Gosh, it's the greatest honor of my life. And it doesn't come with a title. It doesn't come with anything flashy. It doesn't come with anything promising. He never promised me, if you follow me, this is what will happen. I just knew, you, there's something on your life that I want. And I will give my life to following that. And, and I want to challenge some people that I'm looking for a generation of people that have that kind of tenacity. To say, I'm a, this is worthy not just of my Sunday morning, but this is worthy of me going after for my life. I'm going to serve this house. I'm going to serve this man. I'm going to serve this woman to the best of my ability. So Elijah goes from a place of prominence to all of a sudden being hidden. The greater the doing, the more important the becoming. The greater the doing that God's going to do in your life, the greater the becoming. Think about this. Jesus, who is God incarnate, John chapter 1, says that the word became flesh. He is word made flesh. You know how many years he prepared for a three-year ministry? 30. And you think you should be ready in six months. If God incarnate took 30 years for three years. Think about this. Moses prepared 40 years for a one-sentence message. Pharaoh, let my people go. Pretty easy, right? But it took 40 years for God to get him ready. I want to tell you, don't rush the process. I thought I was so ready in my 20s. I, was, I thought I was so ready. And I want to tell you, I couldn't carry what I carry now. I wasn't ready. I wasn't built for it. I want to encourage you that the greater the doing, the greater the becoming. And the longer that process is, just be faithful in the process. If you're not answering the call of God on the being, you're not going to experience the call of God to the doing. Three times in 2 Kings chapter 2, three times, one, two, three, Elijah told Elisha to leave. He said, you can go. Your, your time with me is done. And in fact, your, your Bible says there was 50 people surrounding, and they all echoed what Elijah told him. They said, hey, he told you to go. You're done. 
But Elisha said, there's something on the inside of me that won't let me leave. I'm not going to go from you. My, my season with you is not done. Until I see you go into the clouds, my assignment is not finished. I want to tell you that you need to have that kind of link up in your spirit with some people. That, that I'm committed to you, not for a season. Come on, somebody. I'm not here till 2021 or a better offer comes along or something shiny or something great. But until I see you go into the clouds, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay following you. See, commitment is this. It's a decision before opportunity arrives. He, he was committed. He, he was set. This is what I'm going to do. The last thing is the reward. Are you all doing okay? You feel like you've learned some Bible today? Good. You, you feel smart. You, how many of you are just glad you know Elijah and Elisha now? Yes. Okay. A couple honest people. Like, I feel so smart now. Like, this is so helpful. So here comes the reward. When you think of chariots, what do you think of? Get a picture in your head. If you're like me, you think of, uh, like, beautiful chariots, like in New York City Park. Uh, we went to New York uh, with our kids on a family vacation, and they had these beautiful uh, little horse-drawn carriages, and it's so pretty, and it costs a million dollars for a five-minute ride. Thankfully, we had learned that in Chicago. Uh, there was these guys. Have y'all ever seen those little bicycles that are carrying a little carriage behind them? And they look really fun, right? And so we were tired because we were walking in Chicago. I'm about to save you a lot of money. You will thank me later. And so we were tired of walking. And so our family of four got on one. We didn't think to ask how much. And we literally ride like two blocks. And the kids were like, that was so fun. Until the guy turns and says, that'll be $75. I was like, homie, we just went two blocks. This is not far. But when I, when I think of a chariot, I either think of the guy riding the bicycle, right, in Chicago, or I'm thinking of New York City, like a beautiful little carriage ride. But in this day and time, a chariot represented this. It represented death and destruction. When you saw a chariot, it actually made you fearful. They were made out of iron, and they were so heavy that the horse that would be pulling the chariot would die under the pressure. It couldn't handle the weight of the chariot. So whenever Elisha saw the chariots coming, he immediately thought to what culture says. This is death and destruction. So somebody is about to die. Somebody is about to get hurt. The next thing your Bible says that he sees is fire coming down from heaven. So not only does he see what culture has represented as death and destruction, now he has everything that he has learned about God up until this point. Because this immediately would have made him think of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, your Bible says that the fire rained down from heaven and a whole city was destroyed. Fast forward into Exodus, there was fire on Mount Sinai. And your Bible says that every person and every animal who was not cleansed and holy would touch the mountain and they would die. And so he immediately knew that the fire meant the judgment of God was coming down. So he had every religious idea of who he knew about God and everything he knew about culture, both present at the same time. And he gets fearful. And in a moment, he cries out, my father, my father, the horses and the chariots, because he knows this is not going to end well. But what is incredible is that the first time in your Bible, you see the fire coming from heaven, but no one is destroyed. 
You see fire coming from heaven and yet no one is harmed. And this is what we see because in your Bible, there's types and shadows of a new covenant. And, and what Elijah is seeing happening right there, Elisha is watching happening is a foretelling of Christ that there will be fire. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us this, that there is now a new mountain, a, a better mountain where the old covenant represented God's judgment. There's now a new covenant that represents God's grace and his mercy because Elijah kept telling him, he said, Elisha went to him and he said, I want a double portion. That word double portion of your spirit means this. It means I wanna carry what you carry in the same way you carry it. Double portion doesn't mean that it was double on him. It meant, I don't want what you carry just to be carried for your lifetime. What if it could go for two lifetimes? I always thought that that verse, double portion, meant that it was like increased, like it was Elijah 2.0. But actually what he's saying is let what's on your life be on my life. And let, let, let God not get the glory for one lifetime, but for two lifetimes. This is why your Bible says in John chapter 16, verse seven, Jesus tells the disciples, it's better that I go. Because if I go, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will teach you all things. And what he's saying is, is that now through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, because we see in Acts chapter two, that fire comes from heaven again. And this time the mantle falls from heaven and a whole group of people now get to carry what one man carried. Now it's multiplied by thousands of times over. I wanna tell you that the reward is us being carriers of his presence. That's the reward is that it's not that it's just carried out for one lifetime, but God multiple to lifetimes over. And that what's on my life is imparted into your life because it came from Jesus first. And so what we see in this moment is no longer God bringing judgment, but we see through the outpouring, it's a foreshadowing of what the Holy Spirit would do that through the Holy Spirit, we have gifts, we have uh, callings, we have ability, and all of a sudden Elijah receives an empowerment that he had not received before. And his first call to action of this calling was to pray. And he cries out and says, where's the Lord God of Elijah? But in that moment, it was no longer just the Lord God of Elijah, it was the Lord God of Elisha. And from that moment forward, he became a carrier of God's presence. I wanna tell you that the reward in, in our lives is that, as Jesus said, it's better that I go. Why? Because what's on him is now on us. I wanna encourage you, as you're getting baptized today, there, there's a call on your life. There will be a cost. Your part is the pursuit, right? But with it comes the reward. And I wanna encourage you that the reward is so worth it. And maybe some of you, because of what, maybe you're like Elisha right now and you have what culture tells you about God and you have what religion has told you about God and it has made you fear the presence of God. But from that point forward, we see Elisha doing this, boldly entering into the presence of God. Why? Because everything he knew about God had changed. And some of you, there's been a wall between you and God because you feel like the only reason why he would come is to judge you. But I wanna encourage you because of the new covenant, he comes to you with grace. He comes to you with mercy. He comes to you with his love. Can I pray for you today right where you're at? God, I just thank you. Lord, I thank you for every person. Lord, right now, I pray for every person being baptized. God, I just declare, Lord, that you're calling them. Lord, that this will be a marking moment on their life.
that God, the same way that Elisha caught the mantle of Elijah, Lord, I thank you that today, Lord, your spirit is coming upon them. Lord, I thank you that they'll look back at these moments, Lord, with you and say that they were defining moments for their life. Lord, I pray for every person that you've been speaking to them that it's time to burn the plow. Lord, I thank you that they will be brave enough to, Lord, uh, get rid of any backup plans that they have. Lord, we declare as for our church, there's no turning back. As for our lives, there's no turning back. There is no other plan. There is no other way. Lord, we found the words of everlasting life and they're yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you for all that you're doing, Lord, whatever the cost. Whatever the path, we say yes. If you're here in the sound of my voice, you might say, Crystal, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've never asked him into my heart or into my life. Or maybe you might say, Crystal, I prayed that prayer, but honestly, I've made some mistakes and I've fallen away. But today you wanna give your life to him. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you across both of our campuses, I wanna encourage you, today's a great day to give your life to Jesus. If that's you in the sound of my voice, can you lift your hand on the count of three? One two, three, lift your hand in this place. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Take my sins and by your grace, I take your righteousness. I make you Lord of my life. I give you all that I am. I hold nothing back in Jesus name. And everybody said, Amen, amen. Can we give it up for every person who just prayed that prayer? We're so proud of you. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, can you do us a favor? Text the keyword DECIDED to 903-634-7135. A member of our team would love to follow up with you, get you anything you might need as you begin this incredible journey of faith. Amen. got so much out of today's content. Can you do me a favor and hit the subscribe button so you never miss out on any new content here on my podcast? Also, one of the best ways for people to find my podcast is by you. If you will, share this podcast on your social media or maybe text it to a friend and help me get the word out so we can help others. Also, everything you need to know about today's podcast will be available down in the show notes. I also have a link for you to stay subscribed to my emails so you never miss out on anything that I have going on. So hey, thank you so much for being here and let's do something awesome for God this week.